Okay, so without any further ado, let's turn to Luke chapter 6, please. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read this morning from verses 31 through to 38. Luke chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners and receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful God, as we have just read. Thank you, Lord, that you're merciful in meeting with us this morning, being willing to share your will with us and uh, to condescend to where we are in our own heart's condition. Father, we would pray that today you would help the scriptures to meet us and to lead us and help us to be willing to follow wherever you would have us to go. We thank you for this time and we pray that the encouragement from scripture would come forth clearly. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that comes naturally. And that's true for even Christians who've been Christians for a long time. Following Christ does not come naturally. It's something that requires a choice and to go against one's own flesh. Australian culture often goes and confirms those thoughts that are unchristian or those behaviours that are unchristian, which makes it even harder sometimes to live like Christ would have us to live. And so from the world's perspective, and even from our own flesh's perspective, some biblical passages just seem foreign. They seem like they don't uh, make sense compared with our normal practices, and certainly it's not what we would naturally want to do if it was our own choice and one of those things as I'm sure you're very aware that seems very very foreign to us and is hard to do is loving our enemies loving our enemies now let me be specific loving strangers is cultural even Australian culture will say yes we should love strangers we should love people who are not our friends but that's not what this scripture is talking about love your enemies. This is not talking about loving people you don't know. 
It's talking about loving people you do know who oppose you, hate you, make life hard for you. That's not something that comes naturally. And neither is a specific kind of love that I really, really want to zero in on this morning, which is part of the same umbrella of loving your enemies. And that is loving with our wallet or lending. Certainly does not come naturally to open the wallet and just let the notes fly out to all the other people around. We keep our wallet folded. We keep the money hidden and we keep it in a pocket and then we chain the pocket and then we put a padlock on the pocket and then we seal it away so no one else can get to it. Lending. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ said this in this passage we've just read. Lend, hoping for nothing again. Isn't that against us? Isn't that unnatural? It's unnatural for me to read that. Now stewardship, that is taking care of what we've been given, and wisdom are biblical concepts. These are things that God wants us to do. Take care of those things that have been given to you. Make sure that you spend what has been given to you wisely. These are both biblical concepts, and I'm sure you're very familiar with those concepts. Having faith and being financially irresponsible just doesn't work. Uh, part of faith is being responsible with what God has given to us. But what Jesus recommends here certainly wouldn't be recommended by your financial planner if you were to sit down together. Give to people who probably won't pay you back again. What Jesus says here opposes the flesh, it opposes the world, and it appears even to contradict wise stewardship. But he says it. And it's very clear. And there's no caveat. <laughs> he says it. So how do we put this into practice? How do we live this principle? That's what we should be asking, isn't it? If it's what Jesus said, we should seek to try and live it. So let's examine this under three points, as we often do. First point, hoping for nothing again. Let's figure out what Jesus means by this statement. Luke chapter 6, verses 34 and 35. Let's zero in a little bit. Verse 34, And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye love you, your enemies and do good, and lend hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Let's differentiate between two ideas here before we go any further, and that is between the ideas of lending and giving. They're not the same idea. Uh, the Greek behind this passage also bears out that distinction. Jesus is not saying give here. He says lend. He uses the word purposefully. And so the idea here is that we are to lend things that are ours to other people, even though those other people might fail in giving them back again. Even though it might be a bad lend, someone who doesn't pass the criteria, we should still be willing to give. Now let's compare this to what we see in the sinners who lend in cultural context. 
Let's take a bank, for instance, and I think we can all put banks and sinners in a similar sort of category, although I'm not going to say that this morning. To get a loan, you have to establish that you are relatively of, of relatively low risk. That's what you have to establish with a bank. You have to provide proof of income. You have to forward some form of security so that if you were to default on that loan, there would be something to cover the losses. And you may even have to provide some sort of credit history to show that you are good at paying back debts. All of this is to establish that you are a person of low risk. And if you are deemed to be someone that is high risk, you'll usually get no loan. People won't loan to you if you're deemed to be of high risk. And this is a way that businesses are able to mitigate their own losses and to be able to ensure that they can continue to make money. It's in opposition to this or in distinction to this that Jesus says loan or lend hoping for nothing again. Now, what I want you to notice, first of all, is that Jesus doesn't use the word give. He's not just saying give away all your stuff. He uses the word loan. He's talking about recommending giving things to people that are intended to be brought back again. Doesn't mean that we're only half loving if we expect something back again. It's just sometimes all that we can give. Loan, Jesus says, even if there is the chance of loss. Now, before we go further on and apply this to ourselves, we have to see that this idea, as I've mentioned already, sits in a wider context of Christian love. This idea of loaning is one manifestation of loving other people that we come across. What Jesus is in essence saying here is that Christian love doesn't have to pass credit checks. Can we put it that way? Christian love doesn't have to pass credit checks. It doesn't mean you have to throw your money left, right and center to prove that you love God. But when you want to go and show love, you don't have to have a credit check upon the person to make sure that that is going to come back again. And then if we were to take that even further, we shouldn't show preference to the likable or to the thankful when we go to show love. And this sometimes is the way that we can go and try and show Christian love beyond the bounds of the church. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 to 34 uh, speaks about this directly. He says, For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Now in the context here, it's not saying that Christians are not sinners. What it's saying is that there are certain people who live their life in sin. That's their principle. And they're willing to have sin as a part of their life rather than God as the ruling part of their life. And so it's not saying Christians are not sinners. But there's a contrast here saying that disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians, should be more loving than sinners. They should be more loving than those who don't know God, those who live for themselves and for their sin. And so what is our responsibility here? How can we make sure that we do what Jesus is asking us to do? Well, first of all, at least 
Love those who love you. Sinners even do that. The unsaved will love those who love us. If someone is deemed to be a, a good investment, even a bank will invest money in that person. They'll give them a loan. And as Christians, we ought to at least do that. We ought to at least love those who love us. We ought to at least be kind to those who are kind to us. We ought to at least lend to those of whom we would have good reason to hope that we will receive those things again. Start there. Because selfishness and stinginess make a Christian far worse than a sinner. And we need to be careful not to be found there. We should at least be as loving and as generous. Now, not in dollar equivalents, because some people are very, very rich and they're willing to lend a whole lot. We could never do the same. But in attitude, we ought to be as loving and as generous. But we must go beyond that. We must love those who hate us. Not just those who don't love us, but those who hate us, our enemies. We must give to the unthankful. We must lend to those who may be bad debts. And you're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you saying here? It's what Jesus says. But this is all in the context of loving our enemies. And we have to read it that way. Loving our enemies. We must meet the needs of others at our own expense. Be willing for it to cost us something in order to meet their needs. Now, let's get rid of these false ideas that may be troubling you about this concept. This is not telling us that we need to loan to people in order to fund drug addictions. Why not? Because that's not how to love your enemy. It's not loving to do that. It's not telling that we need to loan to people who are just endlessly spending money on buying stuff that they don't need to fund their materialism. Why don't we need to do that? Well, because they're beneath us? No, because that's not loving. That's not the right thing to do in that context. We need to not fund people's gambling addictions. We need to not confirm people in their laziness just by giving handouts over and over and over again, because that's not loving. But when we find what loving is, when we identify this is how I need to love this person, don't let a cost stop us from doing it. Don't let the thoughts of maybe I won't get that thing back again stop us from doing it. Because if it's loving, we should do it. If it's in our capacity and it's loving, we should do it. What does this look like? It might sound like a really foreign concept and that it's hard to figure out how people could ever do this. The early church was, was based on this sort of giving, this sort of attitude. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You would be familiar with the Apostle Paul. Well, the Apostle Paul's traveling buddy for his first missionary journey was a man called Barnabas. And Barnabas was a wonderful blessing to the early church. But Barnabas' personal testimony was also a wonderful blessing to the early church. He was one of a number of people who did what we read about here in Acts chapter 4, 
and verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught or any of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And here's an example of someone who did that. Verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is Barnabas giving of what he had at personal expense in order to love other people who didn't have. But I'm going to point you back to Luke chapter 6 and tell you that we need to go further than Barnabas. Because Barnabas was doing this to take care of those in the church, wasn't he? Whereas Christ urges us here that we need to love even those who are our enemies, even those outside the bounds of the church. And so we just don't show this sort of love to believers. We can't just say, well, if that person was in my situation, they'd do the same for me. That's not the sort of person we're talking about. This command is specifically not for those people. It's for people who probably wouldn't be able to pay us back. It's for people who may not even say thank you. But it's for people that we know have a need. We know the Lord has been leading us to meet that need and we can meet it. It's to those people. I think this shows to us just how different Christians are supposed to be. Don't forget that we're different and we're very different. Second point I want to look at this morning looks unrelated in our passage, but I think it is essential to us being able to do this. And that is simply judge not. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. Luke 6.37, judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Now, this is uh, a favorite memory verse for many people because many people seem to be able to quote this verse. Don't judge. Stop telling me what I need to do. Uh, don't have rules. What we, need to we need to understand what this verse means. What does judge not mean? What's it trying to tell us? Does it mean that we are never to form an opinion of another person? Does it mean that we are never to express an opinion of another person? Does it mean that we are never to have a standard and enforce that standard upon another person's behavior? Is that what judge not means? Well, I'm going to tell you, no, that's not what it means. And just so it's not me standing up here telling you this, let's go and have a look. Luke chapter 6, verse 42, the very same chapter only Six verses down. Luke 6:42. Jesus says, "Either how canst thou say to thy brother, 
Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye. When thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Get rid of the big problems in your life so that you can help other people in the problems in their life. But here's the question. How do you know there's a moat in your brother's eye if you can't judge? You see, we have to look at people and we have to see, I can see this is a problem and I need to try and help this person. If you can't judge, you can't help. John chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus says this, Judge not according to the appearance. This is getting to the heart of the matter. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You see, Jesus tells us to judge there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, turn here with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul is speaking about someone who's committed fornication in the church and it's a public thing and it's causing other people to stumble. First Corinthians 5:11, he says, "But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat." How do you know who not to eat with? You have to look and see behavior and make a judgment call on it. Verse 12, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? That's without, outside the church. Do not ye judge them that are within? There is to be a sort of um, morality judgment call that we have to do inside the church and how our fellowship goes. Verse 13, But them that are without God judgeth, Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Identify that that behavior is wrong and put that person who is openly committing that open bad behavior out of the church. There is a place for judgment. And yet Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 37, judge not. He knows that judgment can get out of hand. It can be done in the wrong way, it can be done by the wrong people, and it can be done in the wrong situations. Judge not, Luke 6.37, we'll head back there. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. One Greek commentator, when he was looking at this passage, and I think what he says is true, he says that judging is the overarching idea and condemning and forgiving are further developments of that idea of judging. Let me explain to you what he means. A judgment call is acted upon either by choosing to condemn or to forgive. We judge and then we decide to forgive or we decide to condemn. We can judge and forgive and move on. Or we can judge and condemn. And what Jesus Christ is telling us to do here is he's saying we should seek to forgive as often as we can. Don't judge that leads to condemnation often. (laughs) 
That has to be only when you need to. Be forgiving. We who turn to God for pardon every single day, many times every single day, how many times do you have to go to God to ask for forgiveness for the things that you've done? Those of us who ask for forgiveness by habit should forgive by habit. We should be in that habit. But is that what we're like? Do we forgive as often as we can? Or do we condemn more than we should? Does our attitude towards forgiveness reflect God's attitude towards forgiveness? Certainly the gulf between sinners and God is greater than the gulf between us and fellow sinners. And we use this verse in the context of the idea of lending that we're looking at this morning. Judging harshly often allows us to keep our wallet closed. They wouldn't use it wisely. They don't deserve it. They've wasted what they have already. I'm not going to bother giving them more to waste. But what about forgiveness? We're not a bank. <laughs> we don't have the same credit department in our hearts as a bank has to. We're Christians. We should have a principle of forgiveness that goes through our actions and it should affect everything that we do. And Jesus Christ is a great example of this. Jesus blessed many people. Uh, his treasury was a treasury that all of us wish that we had. We wish that we could go and share with people sight for those who are blind, hearing for those who are deaf, the relief from demons for those who are possessed. And it's true, it happens. But we would be wrong to think that all of the people that Jesus blessed deserved it or even that they thanked him for it. Many of the people that Jesus gave his riches to didn't deserve it. They didn't say thank you. And even many of them, Jesus, even in his foreknowledge would have known this, even many of them didn't change permanently as a result of it. Many of them went back to the very place that Jesus had helped them out of. Jesus knew they would because he's God and he still helped them. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great and ye shall be children of the highest. You'll be like your dad. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Jesus' kindness, just like the kindness of his father, was bestowed on the unthankful and was bestowed on the evil. Jesus was crucified for many people who will never ever be saved. He died on the cross for people who will never receive him, but he still extended that kindness. He speaks about people through the Gospels who when they were relieved of evil spirits, didn't fill themselves with the Holy Spirit and so ended up with more evil spirits than beforehand. They went backwards after Jesus Christ had blessed them. And of course, the nail in the coffin in this argument is that disciple, Judas Iscariot. The disciple that Jesus kindly allowed to draw near over around three year period. 
despite foreseeing the treason that he would commit at the end of that time. All of that kindness, knowing full well that Judas would trample it underfoot. Sinners don't have to earn our trust before we show them love. And that goes for financial love too. But it does come back to that all-important question. We have to ask ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? It's not just splashing money left, right and centre, selling our family home and leaving our kids destitute of somewhere to live. (laughs) That's not the loving thing to do. But when we find the loving thing to do, don't let our savings plans stop us. Don't let our judgmental attitude stop us. Now Jesus goes on and says at the end of this passage that there are consequences for these behaviours for Christians. If we're willing to live like this and have this sort of an attitude, there will be consequences. It says in verse 37, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. As we treat people like we want to be treated, back in verse 31, we begin to be treated like we want to be treated. It's the biblical principle that's borne out for us here. This is the interesting thing about this passage. (laughs) And that's what struck me about it. Jesus tells us to do good without expectation of kindness in return. Do good expecting nothing back. But he says, if you do, you'll get it. That doesn't mean there won't be a reward. That brings us to our third and our final point, which is quite simply, choose your own measure. Choose your own measure of blessing. Luke 6.38 Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. The rewards of selfless love are eternal rewards. God sees what we do and he promises that he is the one who is going to reward us for that sort of attitude. But those blessings are not limited to being eternal blessings. Showing that sort of love in this world doesn't just mean that God is going to save up all the blessings and give us to us in the next life. It's not just limited to that. Jesus says in verse 38, Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. If you have this principle in your life, other people here in this life will bless you in like manner. The picture here of the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over is a picture of the marketplace. Someone going down to get a measure full of grain And uh, if you were to take a measure full of grain and just quickly scoop it out and throw it into something else, throw it into the container that the people were carrying, you would get a lot of space in that scoop. And as you put it in, there would be not as much in the container. But if you were to take a good measure, you were to press it down, you were to shake it together, And you would let it heap up a little bit running over the top and then you would have put it into the measurement. People would get a good sized portion for what they've paid for. 
reminded me of when we go to the ice cream shop. Ice creams are expensive these days, right? They are, aren't they? But if I'm going to pay a lot of mo- too much money for an ice cream, <laughs> I love to see the person there with the cone just scooping, putting it in, scooping, putting it in, and I think that ice cream cup's full. And then they pat it down and they squish it through, get another big thing and put it on top, and I think that ice cream cup's full. And they get another one and put it on top and squish it down and put it on the side. And I love when I've spent my money on an ice cream, seeing a cone which is like huge, full of ice cream, and it's jam-packed full through the cone. And I think, that's a good measure. That's someone who's being bountiful in what they've given. You might say, well, you paid a lot for that ice cream. You should get a lot. Well, I have paid a lot for that ice cream, but they could have still been stingy (laughs) and just given me a little heap on the top with half a hollow cone in the bottom of it. We all know those people. That sort of generosity usually provokes thankfulness. Usually makes us to stop and think, oh, that's great. I like this place. Thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. I like it. Not every time. Some people get blessed like that and they remain unthankful even though people have gone over and above what they have to. The point is if we want people to be giving and willing to go over and above for us, then that's the principle we need to have in our own lives. We need to choose our own measure of blessing. Do you want a cup full that is pressed down, shaken together, overflowing? Is that how you want people to give to you? If so, then choose that measure when you give to people. That's how we need to be beneficial towards other people. We fear that, giving, that a giving person is going to be a person who's taken advantage of. If you're too giving, people will take you. But God promises that a giving person will receive in like manner. But we should never lend or love or show kindness for the purpose of receiving it again. That's not why we love. That's not why we lend. It's not why we give. Because sometimes we won't get it back from that person. Sometimes God will use someone else to bless us. We shouldn't love because we're looking for something in return. We should love because we love God. And we should love because we want to be like God. Luke 6.35 will close with this. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We know, Lord, that already this morning we've been awake for hours and we've received cups and cups full of your blessings and many of them we haven't even said thanks for. We know, Lord, that we receive like this. Help us, Lord, to be willing to give like you give. Help us to be willing to love like you love. Praise you and I thank you, Lord, for the example that we're given in the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to be bountiful towards others. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.